0: when we come and read together Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the importance of children obeying their parents in the Lord. We read about the great enemy of God's people. There, in verse number 10 onward, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And when we consider that and what that means, we think of a statement that strikes us coming out of this passage. The Christian life must be taken seriously by the believer. The Christian life must be taken seriously by the believer. I believe that that statement is often disregarded today, and our failure in Christian duties is excused by us with many fleshly means such as tiredness, it being someone's opinion that is merely inaccurate, or legalism, or some excuse that men cling to in desperation of justifying their actions. God's Word must be taken seriously. Living for God's glory must be taken seriously. Living and bringing honor to Christ by obeying His commandments must be taken seriously. And when it is not, oh, the excuses come. The excuses come. In Ephesians chapter 4 and through to verse 5, the apostle sets forth the faithful life that ought to be lived by every believer. And then, if that faithful life is lived to the glory and to the honor of God, we have what we see in chapter 6, the warfare of the believer the warfare of the believer. If we walk in light rather than darkness, if we walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh, if we walk in unity and not division, if we walk in the new self and not the old self, then what will happen? There will be conflict with Satan and conflict with this world. The Lord Jesus Christ commenced His ministry in spiritual warfare against Satan in the wilderness And Scripture itself sets forth that warfare between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, which will only come to an end on the last day when the great foe is defeated. It is in great ignorance of Scripture if we turn to Ephesians 6 with an attitude that sets aside these important truths. In other words, we don't need to be at war. We don't need to Take this stand for Christ that Paul is speaking about. We do not need this Christian armor in this world. The Christian life must be taken seriously, and we must understand that there are those in this world, there are principalities, and there are powers that are against the people of God. The Christian is not at peace. The Christian should be filled with peace, the Christian should display peace, but the Christian is not at peace with Satan and this world. We always need to remember that there is a spiritual battle. But what did the Savior use to challenge the temptations of Satan in the wilderness? In Matthew 4, verse 4, he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Notice that small phrase, It is written, it is written, and every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Our spiritual warfare must not be carried out without the word of God. And in Ephesians 6, we come to the Christian armor. Paul is referring here to the physical armor of the Roman soldier, but he takes each piece of armor and he gives it a spiritual meaning and a spiritual application. And when we come to verse 17, we see the helmet of salvation. And with all the other items, the shield of faith, these are defensive items. You put them on to protect yourself. But then, verse 17, we find the sword, the Roman sword. Or as Paul spiritual, spiritualizes it here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And God has given us armor, and God has given us His sword. And it is this weapon that I want us to consider uh, this morning in the will of God. Now, we have considered in the adult Bible class the doctrine of Scripture, and there were still a few topics that uh, I desired that we would consider, uh, translations being one of them. Uh, we are not going to get anywhere near translations uh, to consider that. There's many much material online, and the Trinitarian Bible Society deals uh, with translations uh, very well. And so, I suppose for those who've attended the adult Bible class, you can go and do some homework on the Trinitarian Bible Society website and look at that subject. But we had considered the Puritans and what they said about Scripture on two occasions. It was my intention to make a third occasion and to deal with William Gurnall's commentary on the Christian armor, and specifically the sword of the Spirit, which we will do this morning in a more typical sermon than a Bible-class-style study. And so, as we come to this verse 17, we have in view the sword of the Spirit. It was William Colonel who said that the sword was ever esteemed a most necessary part of the soldier's furniture and therefore hath obtained a more general use in all ages and among all nations than any other weapon. The sword today we would see is old and ancient. You do not run onto the battlefield today with a sword. I believe swords were still used in the First World War. I believe that there may have been some use in World War II. But we do not see the use of the sword today as widely as it would have been in the times of the Apostle Paul or in the medieval age. But yet, when we look... At the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire and uh, moving on uh, through the centuries, the sword was always there as an important part of the weaponry of the soldier. And of course, we think of the Word of God. Times may change around us, but the Word of God never changes. And the Word of God ought always to be with us. It is said that the soldier has his sword, the sailor has his sword has his chart to make it Canadian. The hockey player has his stick. Yet it would be absurd for us to think that as a Christian, we do not need to know the Word of God. We do not need to use the Word of God. We need it. It is a vital part of the armor that God has given us. And so this morning, I want us to consider Scripture the believer's powerful sword. Scripture, the believer's powerful sword. And firstly, I want you to see that the believer's sword has a divine origin. The believer's sword has a divine origin. Verse 17 tells us that. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's a twofold aspect here of the origin. The Spirit and God. The Word of God. And Paul is setting forth here that this weapon... This piece of armor, if we did not know it already, reading down this passage, is part of God's armor that He has given to us. It is of a divine and a heavenly origin. And we see that in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, where the apostle tells Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. God breathed into it. God is its great and its infinite author. Second Peter one the verses nineteen and to twenty one verses we've considered before in the adult Bible class uh, the Word of God tells us knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost so the Apostle Paul did not one day decide I want to write a letter. And then he enjoyed that so much, he thought he would write another letter and another letter and another letter. No, God used him. The Spirit of God had a letter to send to these congregations and to the church at Ephesus. And Paul wrote, under the inspiration of God, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And what we have is God's Word to the church at Ephesus, but God's Word for us. His inspired Word. And Paul says that this Word is our sword. It is our weapon. It is our weapon. Alan Kearns, the late Dr. Alan Kearns, said that inspiration is the work of God by His Holy Spirit, communicating His Word to the writers of the Bible and enabling them to write that Word without error, addition, or deletion. In other words, the Word of God is perfect. It is infallible. It is without error. And therefore, it is the final rule of faith and practice. If you want to know what you ought to believe, or how you ought to behave, or how you can be saved, there is no greater authority in this world than the precious and living Word of God because it is inspired by God. And here, Paul denotes it as a weapon, something that is provided by God. The word take here in verse 17, of course, it uh, precedes the helmet of salvation, but Paul is also speaking about taking the sword of the Spirit. It's receiving it. It's accepting it. It's not crafting it. It's not designing it yourself, but it's taking something that is already there, something that has already been provided. And it's provided for our use, and it's provided for our need. Dear believer, we need to use the Word of God, but we need the Word of God. We need it. We need it within our lives. God has given us many things that are a blessing to us, many things that we must use. We think of the table of the Lord this morning, and this table is not here to give us physical sustenance. It is here to remind us of Christ, to remind us of His death, to remind us that He shed His precious blood to redeem sinners. By coming and confessing our sins and seeking Him and remembering His death, we receive that grace that we need from Him. There's a spiritual purpose to it. And when we consider the Word of God, God has given us His Word. We need it. It is a blessing and a privilege to have it. And when we consider inspiration together, we looked at several points, but uh, there were two particular points that we considered, I think, in the second uh, message that uh, we had an inspiration. I was looking to see what I said in the first message, and for some reason I can't find that sermon. It's probably on my iPad, but I can't find uh, the notes of that sermon. Yeah, but I found the notes of the second sermon, and there were two points there uh, that are relevant to us. That this doctrine of inspiration is the foundation of glorious truths concerning Scripture. God has given us His Word, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is inspired by Him, and that inspiration is the foundation of many things that we see in Scripture. It's infallible, it's inerrant. Because it is inspired. It has divine authority. Because it is inspired. It has divine veracity, truth, because it is inspired. It is a sufficiency. And we considered all of these. Because it is inspired. It is all that we need. It is clear. It is a divine clarity. It is a divine necessity. It has a divine unity. It has a divine efficacy in its purpose, pointing us to Christ. Why? Because it is inspired. It is the weapon we need, the perfect weapon we need. It is an effectual weapon because it is inspired. If I decided to take a spear and charge down the church to attack you? Well, not me, but say somebody did. How do you defend yourself? Well, the best means would would be a gun or something. Before they came down, you have your weapon. You have your weapon. It's a better weapon than the one the person has. They have to come up close. They have to come up personal to use that weapon, or a sword, or a dagger. Come up close to use it. When you think of a gun, a ranged weapon, you can stay back. You can stay in relative safety and defend yourself or attack your foe. There are weapons in this world that are superior to other weapons. That's the point I'm trying to make. They're superior. When we think of the Word of God, because it is inspired, it is superior. It is superior to the arguments of men. It is superior to the philosophies of man. We think of evolution. Uh, We think of the doctrines of man that man has even tried to bring into Christianity. The Word of God is superior. It stands above them. It stands correcting them. We think of all the attacks of the atheist upon uh, Christianity. The Word of God is that superior weapon. That superior weapon. We can think of the devil attacking our hearts and discouraging us and trying to bring us down and make us doubt our salvation. And we need something to fight back. We need a weapon that is superior to the fiery darts of the devil. God has given it to us. It is the sword of the Spirit. And we consider it as well that this doctrine is not optional. This doctrine is not optional. Dear believer, we must believe the Word of God is given by him. Oh, how many times in the history of this world men have stood and denied this doctrine or that doctrine or denied the deity of Christ because they don't believe what is written in the Word of God. Inspiration, the inspiration of all Scripture is absolutely fundamental to our faith. And if we don't believe that, then how can God's Word be trusted? What part of Scripture is inspired? If we do not believe it is all inspired, then what parts are? What parts should we set aside? What parts are optional? What parts should be ignored? And the reality is, none of it, because God has given us a completed and a finished Word. And therefore, if it is inspired, we must obey it. It must be the foundation of our faith. Do you believe the Word of God this morning? Do you believe what Scripture says regarding salvation, regarding your sin and your need of a Savior? God's Word is His message to your heart, to your soul, warning you of sin, warning you of your iniquity, urging you and compelling you to turn to Christ, who is the Savior of the world. It is the foundation of our faith. We believe in Christ as Savior because God has inspired His Word to tell us those truths. Do you believe it? Do you know Christ? Do you treasure this heavenly Word? Thomas Guthrie, the Scottish preacher, said the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every sickness, a balm for every wound. us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons. Do we realize what we have, what God has given us? Dear believer, those times that you've struggled, you struggle with the difficulties in life. You've lay in your sick bed and you wondered, why am I here? What is going to happen to me? How will this illness affect me? You struggle with the difficulties and circumstances in life and you're wondering again, what does the future hold? How can I get through this? I can't take any more. How often how often we've been there? I remember I was thinking actually earlier this morning of when I was in hospital at the end of 2019. I went into hospital for a few days. I had an infection, and I think it can be traced back to a bite in Australia. I came off the plane in Australia. I went uh, to the station in Melbourne. I dropped my bag off. I managed to squeeze it into, uh, I think, a locker that was too small for the case. It got in anyway, and I decided to explore the city. I had uh, I had a guide that told me about this particular coffee shop and it said it was good. So I went there, I had coffee, I had um, salmon for breakfast, an English muffin, eggs benedict. Uh, it was delicious. I went and I read for a while by the river and people were rowing their boats. It was a beautiful Saturday morning about 8.30 a.m. And then I went back, I went into the hotel I was jet-lagged. I fell asleep. I woke up. I felt tired. I thought that was jet lag. I then uh, got something to eat, woke up on the Lord's Day morning. Any thought of going to church was out of my mind because my head was so sore. I went down and ate the pathetic breakfast the hotel had. It was a good hotel, but the breakfast was terrible. I went back to bed, and that was me till Monday morning. My head was so sore, I realized that there was a pain in my shin and it had flared up there was this rash some australian creature had bit me and i was yeah i was out of it i couldn't stick the bright lights or anything the next day i thought i'm going to have to go to the hospital because when something bites you in australia there's possibility you might die and so i went uh, to the hospital i could hardly walk and um, they Uh, They treated me, gave me antibiotics, and it took a little while for it all to to get over. Uh, But anyway, the same spot flared up a few years ago, and I ended up in hospital. And we think it might be connected. Uh, But as I lay there in the hospital bed, I was there for a few days. They sent me home uh, with lighter antibiotics. The infection flared up again. I was back in hospital for, I think, a week to 10 days. I lay there in the bed, and I wondered what was going on. Uh, because I was pastoring a church. I wasn't preaching there. I, I was sick, and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I wondered, and I wondered, what is God doing here? What is the point of this? What is, why, why am I lying on a hospital bed when I've, when I've work to do, when I have things that need to be done for the Lord and His work? But yet it was God's purpose, and His Word comforted, and His Word gave grace, and His Word gave help. His Word was encouraging, was encouraging. My family lived, I think, about nearly two hours away from the hospital, so they didn't come to visit every day, so I was on my own as well for a lot of that time. And it was discouraging, it was depressing. But the sword of the Spirit used to defend the attacks of the devil How often we've been there. How often we've been there. I thought the same when I was sick in Australia. I thought, I'm going to Australia to minister in a church to preach the Word of God, but I'm lying here in a hotel bed, pumped full of antibiotics and headache tablets, and I can hardly walk. Why? Why? But the Word of God is comforting. And we all have our own situations. We all have our own difficulties. God's Word comforts our hearts. It is necessary for us. But then secondly, I want you to see the believer's sword has a duality in its use. The believer's sword has a duality in its use. William Colonel wrote that it is a weapon that is both defensive and offensive. Such is the sword. He speaks about the other, the other pieces of armor being defensive but the sword is one that defends and one that attacks. And the Roman sword was used for defending oneself. It was also used to attack the enemy. We can again come back and think of the hockey stick. The hockey stick is used to attack, to score, but it's also used to defend, to knock the puck away from the opposing player. And you can't play hockey without a hockey stick. That's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. If you watch the Stanley Cup final, you'll see that the players have hockey sticks because you can't play hockey without hockey sticks. That's maybe why uh, things don't go so well in Alberta. Maybe we don't play with hockey sticks. I don't know. Uh, but it's essential. You need it. And the Word of God, being compared to the sword here, has that dual use. Dear believer, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot live for Christ. You cannot serve Christ without the Word of God. Without the Word of God. Men will come and attack the Word of God. Men will cry out that the work of Christ on Calvary, it's not a finished work. It's not a work that is sufficient. You have to add to it as they did in Acts chapter 15. And... Uh, There was the council set up to deal with that. Christ's work is not sufficient. You need to keep the law of Moses. You need to engage in good works. You need to say your rosary. You need to go to confession. You need to do all these things as well as Christ. And the attack will come. And we take the Word of God and we defend against it. And what does the apostle say in Hebrews 10? He speaks about the priest in the tabernacle, in the temple, giving those sacrifices... Which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Oh, how this world will attack the sacrifice of Christ, but the Word of God says it atones. It is a finished work, a work we can rest in, a work we can rejoice in. God's Word defends. It defends. Colonel said, Easily might the soldier be disarmed of all his other furniture, how glistening it may be, had he not a sword in his hand to lift up against the enemy's assaults. It's used to defend. It's used to attack. The Word of God shows us our sin, our misery. It declares the righteousness of Christ. The Greek word for word here in verse 17 is interesting. It's a word that emphasizes individual words or particular statements. Why is this word used? Paul here is not speaking about a general knowledge of Scripture. He's speaking about a precision that comes from the knowledge of specific truths, a deeper knowledge of Scripture, a skilled knowledge of Scripture. How could the Roman soldier attack and defend with his sword? There was training, there was skill involved. The same way we could say, going back to the hockey player, going back to uh, the sea captain, skill in his particular field, skill in charts and navigation, skill in sports, skill here in military tactics. And when we apply that to the believer with the sword of the Spirit, there's to be a knowledge, a skill in the Word of God. John MacArthur said, the Christian who does not know God's Word well cannot use it well. Dear believer, there's a challenge here for us. We're to use God's Word to defend ourselves against the attack of the enemy. We're to use God's Word as we evangelize and as we seek to reach out into this world offensively, we could say. But how can we do that effectively? We need to be skilled with the Word of God. We need to know it. We need to study it. There will be those who will be more skilled than others, but there will be those who may be less skilled than others who are also mightily used by God. We can see Many sportsmen who are less talented than some, but sometimes their team is very reliant on what they've achieved for them. Less skilled, but they're they're devoted. They have a purpose. They know what they're doing. They may not have the skill of somebody else, but when the time comes, they stand up and they're counted. We may have different skill regarding the Word of God, but do we desire to train ourselves? Do we desire to learn it and to study it? And when the time comes that we need to use that for the good of the church of Christ, in evangelizing, in defending the faith, we stand up and we are counted. We may not have the skill of somebody else. We may be young, and there may be those who are much older, who have much more knowledge than us, But yet, we don't let that worry us. We stand for the truth. We stand for Christ. Skilled knowledge of Scripture. Oh, how many in this world will twist and corrupt the Word of God? We see that when we consider the LGBT movement. How many Christians and churches are defending it? and saying that this is something that we must support. We see that here in Alberta. We see that across this world. The Word of God is changed and twisted and corrupted. Dear believer, we can also twist and corrupt the Word of God. Colonel speaks of this when he reminds us when he writes about the sword of the Spirit, that the Lord's graces are necessary to our right using of the Word of God. The Lord's graces are necessary to our right using of the Word of God. This skill is not from us. It is the grace of God. He said, "'Nothing is more abused than the Word.'" And why? "'Because men come to it with unsound and unsanctified hearts.'" The heretic quotes it to prove his false doctrine. Dear believer, let us take great care to come to the word with hearts that are sanctified, prayerfully coming and bathing our use of the sword of the spirit in prayer. Oh, men will twist it. They will say, Scripture teaches something it never does to make themselves look good and righteous and holy, or to defend themselves. They fall into the sin of adding and taking away from the Word of God. Dear believer, pray for discerning grace, that you will clearly see what God is teaching in Scripture, that that Word will be written on your heart. We need to be guided by the Word of God. Oh, we need it. Do you see your need for the sword of the Spirit today? A great need in your life? This brings us into our final thought here. And we see, thirdly, that the believer's sword has a divine purpose. It has a divine purpose. If we turn for a moment to Isaiah chapter 55, we'll see something here about the Word of God. the Lord says in verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God has a purpose in His Word. That Word you speak to someone outside of Christ, God has a purpose in it. That Word that you may speak to encourage the believer, God has a purpose in it. It is a weapon provided by the spirit, and it is a spiritual weapon that is suited to spiritual warfare. Its nature, its source, are spiritual. We cannot fight for Christ. We cannot stand against sin and against Satan with the wrong weapon. God's Word has a purpose in that. We can think of World War II as the Nazis were dug in surrounding the beaches of Normandy. Many years ago, I visited the Beaches of Normandy, 21 years ago. I was, yeah, I was maybe a little older than a young child, uh, but quite a while ago. When we think of the D-Day landings, imagine a different record of history. The Allies had their planes, their paratroopers, they had their battleships, they had their landing craft. But then they decide, coming up to the 6th of June, 1944, They're not going to use that technology. They're going to get the rowing boats out. They're going to get rid of the bombers. They're going to get rid of the paratroopers. They're going to get rid of those explosive shells that pounded the coast. And they all set off in rowing boats. When they arrived at the beach, any who were left, they ran out with their bows and arrows and swords. An absolute massacre. And you'd think, Why? Why did they do that? That was absurd. Who suggested such a strategy? Dear believer, many of us do that spiritually. We face the foe. We face sin. We face the great enemy of God. And we decide to leave aside the best weapon of all. And we take our inferior weapons and we go out to face the foe. Thinking that our own strength is sufficient. Thinking that our own abilities, our own talents, our own strength of character is enough to stand against sin. It's not. We need the Word of God. We need the power of Christ. Let us not forsake the Word of God. The believer's sword has a divine purpose a divine purpose to challenge our sin, a divine purpose. To deal with that sin is a word that is sufficient. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, "...for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." It is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword." Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a spiritual weapon. It's a living weapon. It's a cutting weapon. It's a weapon that pierces no matter how strong the armor of the enemy may be. It pierces. The Greek means it comes through. Whatever is opposing it, the sword of the spirit cuts through. It reaches to the joints and to the marrow right into the inner man it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart preacher said every time god's word is used to lead a person to salvation it gives witness to its power to cut a swath through satan's dominion of darkness and bring the light of life to a lost soul oh did that not happen to us when we were saved and converted and the lord spoke to us his word, His word, cut right through Satan's dominion of darkness, and brought the light of life to our lost souls. There's a great purpose here in salvation. The great purpose here in dealing with all that is false in this world. The cults, those who oppose. William Gurnall speaks of the word being used against persecutors. The bloody persecutor who seeks to spill the blood of God's people. The word encourages us. The apostle Paul was gloriously converted, a great persecutor of God's people. It encourages us that even those who persecute can come to faith in Christ. There's much more we could say here, but Gurnall speaks of the seducer who poisons the soul. Paul speaks to Timothy about remembering what he has learned. About abiding in that. And that applies to us as well. Those will come upon us who seek to poison our hearts against Christ. Let us stay close to his truth. Colonel speaks of the word being used against our own lusts. And in our afflictions, there's no better weapon, no better comfort than the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Dear believer, There's a divine purpose in this for the people of God to defend themselves, for the people of God to go forth with the gospel of Christ. And it's all focused on the Word. There are many churches today, and they're not as focused on the Word as they ought to be. The preaching of the Word is boring. The preaching of the Word, well, it's not necessary. This world needs something a little more a little more music, a little more singing, a little more entertainment. Here in verse 17, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God here says, it does not say the sword of the Spirit, which is singing loudly, repeating songs, repeating words. The sword of the Spirit, which is dancing and enjoying yourself in the house of God, entertaining yourself in the house of God. No, it's the Word of God that which is necessary. Let us have the Word of God central in our lives. Let us stand upon it. Let us rejoice in the mercies that God has given, that we have that translation in our own language. We have the ministry of the Word. Let us rejoice in the efficacy of the Word and its ministry upon our hearts. Let us provoke ourselves to study the Word of God. Let us seek what the Lord means and the Spirit's application through His Word, so that we would use this sword well. And let us pray. Pray the Lord would give us that enablement to take His sword, to use His sword, to defend ourselves, to defend the faith, and to be witnesses of Him going forward in this world. May the Lord bless His Word. For His name's sake, Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in the Word of God this morning, or in we're going to turn in our hymnals this morning, as we close and as we come to the table of the Lord, uh, to the hymn one hundred and thirty-seven, one hundred and thirty-seven, hymn that brings us to the cross of Christ as we come to remember His death till He come, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 137, we'll stand as we sing. We'll sing uh, all four verses, and then after the close of verse 4, we'll ask the deacons to come to the front uh, for the Lord's table, please. 137, standing to sing.